0: Now I'd like to read from Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, Church Bibles on page uh, 1162, page 1162. Now this is the passage I'm, I'm preaching on this evening. Um, you may notice I, I've I've moved on from, and um, um, not really dealing in detail with verse 31, 32, and 33. Um, uh, the other week, a visiting speaker really covered that passage, so I've decided not to, not to, go, not to repeat a lot that might have been said. So, um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, uh, could we pray as I uh, seek the Lord's help to preach? Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, we are those who come before your word knowing that everything that is written within your word is... Uh, something we can learn from. We may not have any children. We may not even be married, but we can learn from this, these verses. Um, we may not be fathers or mothers, but we can learn. We thank you for this. And we pray, Lord, that you will open our eyes to see relevant and important applications to our own lives in um, in what is said here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, I've called this uh, God's, God's message to children, P.S. Also uh, a bit said to the fathers as well and parents as well. But l- l- I want to just point out this, that Paul has been talking about the spirit-filled church. A church filled with love and holiness. Not merely just a sentimental love, um, which is based upon emotions which come and go. The problem with sentimentality is that if you're a sentimental person, you're crying one minute because someone says something or you hear a song that touches your, you know, your memories. But then you've forgotten it and it passes as a wave. But Christian love is something much deeper, richer and consistent than that. And it's love and holiness which also involves the holiness of righteous behavior before God. God specifies what righteous behavior is like. Now, uh, when Paul is talking about spirit-filled living, the way husbands and wives should behave, he's talking about holiness. When he's talking to children here, he's talking about love and holiness. And that's one of the reasons why we can learn from this, even though uh, some of us here aren't children anymore, and uh, uh, some of us may actually not, uh, you know, be married or have children. There are still things to learn. Now, However, I want to firstly start off by a general point about the context in which Paul was speaking to these children. He's talking in a context of a church which does believe in love, does believe in, uh, in uh, uh, compassion and care amongst all of the, the brothers and sisters and, of course, amongst the children. That was what Christianity was about that's why um, Christians didn't expose their babies like that was the, the common practice of the Romans. They would uh, not, it wouldn't be a question of just having abortions. They did use things to have abortions, but also if they had a baby, they didn't want the baby they would, they would just leave it out at night to, to freeze. There's a dark backcloth to, uh, to this picture of the way uh, families relate together in Ephesians, and that is the very almost horrific backcloth of Roman family life and I say horrific for this Um, under Roman law uh, the father had absolute power the father could do anything he liked with his child now we're here talking about Rome and obviously the heart of the Roman Empire Ephesus was you know away out in Turkey and I'm sure anyway even in Rome everybody didn't necessarily follow these things that I'm about to say but probably even less so in Ephesus but Under Roman law, a parent could do anything he liked with his child. He could sell his child into slavery. He could make him work for low wages on his farm. He even had the right to condemn his child to death and he himself carry out the execution. All of the privileges and rights in the family belonged to the father, all the duties belonged to the child. And actually, under Roman law, that those duties extended as far as as long as the, the father lived. So a Roman son never came of age. We used to have, you know, I can remember the big twenty one year uh, twenty year olds coming of age parties, which was when I was when I was young. That was it. You know, the twenty one was when you came of age. Now it's eighteen. Um, uh, uh, and, but it doesn't seem to be quite as potent in its... Uh, I don't see so many coming-of-age parties as seemed to be around when I, when I was younger. But the Roman never became of age. He, if he was the son of the father, he a- had this absolute duty to his father. Even when he was a grown man, he could even be a magistrate in a city. He remained within his father's absolute power. And this absolute power could be horrible when a child was born it was pl- placed before its father's feet under Roman custom if the father stooped and lifted the child up that meant he acknowledged it and wished it to be kept, if he turned his back the child was taken out and got rid of put on the rubbish heap, left out this is a pretty this is a pretty you know hard and harsh background in which Paul says children obey your parents that uh, the, the 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 children of of, uh, Roman citizens knew that that's what you had to do. But as we look through the the Bible, we see that the nature of a Christian parent was totally different from the nature of a a Roman parent. In fact, we know that at this time, the marriage bond had collapsed in Rome itself. Men and women were changing partners rapidly. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Actually, it's just just like modern Britain. And under those circumstances, children were thought of as misfortunes. if you 're having one missed, one wife, you know, really you know just then got another one and got another one. having children and so few children were being born, the Roman government actually passed laws to deal with it. They actually uh, uh, reduced the amount of any legacy. Um, that a childless couple could receive. I mean, it's just like, it's just the reverse of situations like in Italy or Russia, where there's a really, or, where there's a really low birth rate, and the government gives bribes, if you like, to to parents to have children or try to 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 actually increase the birth rate. But it, it's horrible what happened to so many so many children in Rome. Often they were left in the Roman Forum, the kind of general area where people went for to talk and, and so on and they then became the property of anyone who cared to pick them up. Pedophiles brothel owners or they might be sold as slaves. Now that horrid, horrid backdrop backdrop of, of, of family life dysfunctional, awful only places the Christian family In in its more wonderful and glorious light. Because the Christian family is meant to exemplify the wonderful, marvelous love of God the Father. And uh, the one from whom all families in heaven and earth are named. Full of love for one another. And in which children, you know, don't hate their father, aren't afraid of their father, aren't aren't in the situation of resenting their father all they like. But rather out of love and gratitude um, uh, seek to serve the Lord. Now, that's Christian children when, when they're in the right spiritual state. Now, Paul, of course, realizes that children aren't in that state naturally. And this is why he, he gives uh, these the, the, this, uh, this focus on the Christian children that are listening to him. We're assuming he's, he's, he, when he speaks, he speaks to children that have faith. And he says to these children that have faith... Obey your parents because this is right. Now, I want us to notice he firstly says, you know, this is this is this is the, the right thing to do. This is the this is the thing that pleases God. This is the holy thing to do, is to obey your parents. Not because your parents are going to give you a reward, not because people will pat you on the back, and say, aren't you a good boy? Uh, not for any other reasons that simply it is a glorious duty of a child. To obey its parents. Now, uh, any any children that may listen to this in the future, because we haven't got actually any any young children here uh, uh, today. We're all, you know, I'm a 70, 71 year old child of, of my parents who have now passed away. Um, but I've got we're there are not any young children here. Um, but the thing is this: if you are a child and you have faith, you must understand obeying your parents. Is a message from God to you. This isn't your parents having a go. It's not even me just having a go at you. God Himself is saying to you, "Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is the right thing that you've got to do." And that, but Paul doesn't just you know uh, just tell the children what to do. He actually gives a reason. And of course, this is one of the the, the things that we have to do both as we preach and teach the gospel we find Paul. Paul's method was not just to assert certain truths but was also back them up with reasons and that's what a parent does with a child that's what a teacher should do when dealing with children not just assertion but also assertion with explanation and he he quotes of course the commandment honor your father and mother this is the first commandment with a promise now Honor your father and mother is wider than obey your father and mother, but it encompasses uh, 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 um, obey your father. In other words, um, to follow this commandment, you not only have to obey your mum and dad, but you actually there are other things that we have responsibilities for throughout our life for our mothers and fathers, not just not, not just obeying them in the domestic in the domestic situation, but also. Uh, once we've left home and we no longer have to obey their domestic uh, commands upon us, um, but we have responsibilities to them, which we'll look at in a minute. Now, notice that Paul says this is the first commandment. I, I won't go into a lot of detail on this, but there's three ways of taking this. I'm not going to give them three actually. I think I'll just leave it as saying this: that basically, um, this is the the first commandment in the dec- in, in the in the Ten Commandments which has a specific promise, or if you like, bonus attached to it. If you obey it, it will go well with you that you may live long in the land. Now, uh, I want us to notice this, that um, this promise is, uh, is one which in the Old Testament was specifically aimed at the Jewish people. They were... Uh, brought into the promised land. A place flowing with milk and honey. A place of prosperity. And they were promised that if they obeyed the commandments of God. Then in, they would live in the land. Then they would enjoy its, its, uh, its prosperity. This particular command references that prosperity and long life that they are promised in the, in, the, in the covenant. If they did not follow this, this command... They wouldn't live long in the land. Now, one of of the interesting facts is um, that God gave the Jews a a reason why they were being sent into the Babylonian exile. Um, In Jeremiah, we find lots of reasons quoted, including idolatry, theft, oppression, violence, and so on. But Ezekiel also mentions they have treated father and mother lightly within you. They've, they've really not honored their father and mother. And that's one of the reasons why they were being cast out of the land. Now, we find in the New Testament, examples of this, of not honoring the father and mother. Adults not, not honoring their adult father and mothers. So, for instance, Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and condemns them. He says in Mark 7.10, uh, he says to the Pharisees Moses said honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die but you say that is the religious group the Pharisees if a man tells his father or mother whatever you would have gained from me is korban that is given to God then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother thus making the void thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down now what that meant was this you could actually uh, you, uh, you, you could actually avoid the obligations of looking after your your parents in those days there wasn 't a pension there wasn't a social security system if your parents were aged and able to work were very you know were' invalids your responsibility as an Israelite was to honor them that is to look after them to feed them help them clothe them but the Pharisees introduced this ridiculous rule that you could actually, um, you could say, all right, now this amount of money that would be going to feed and look after my parents, I'm dedicating it to God. And And from that point onwards, they were no longer, the Pharisee says, you can't give that money to them. And Jesus implies, I think there's an implication here, that the Pharisees then use that money basically for their own gratification, either by giving that money away and and then boasting, oh, I've given all my money to this, that, and the other, or perhaps even have used it for their own greedy purposes. They were making void the word of God. That is, honor your mother and father, including when you're an adult and they're they're, they're going through trials and problems, caring for them when they're in economic need. So honoring your father and mother doesn't just include obeying them when you're children. It means right the way through your life. Caring, giving to them. When they're in need. Now, obviously, in 21st century Britain, quite frankly, many many older parents are in a better economic uh, state than many many middle um, aged middle aged um, or younger younger families. Um, many, many of older people like me own their own house, um, and uh, you know have enough to get by on, and are frequently in a better situation than than younger people. Um, and so, it means more than just you know giving money to your parents because they may not need it. But it does mean keeping in contact, showing love. It means, although we may of necessity live far away from our parents, we need to just show love and honour them and keep, 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 you know, try to keep away the loneliness bug from their lives by regularly phoning, texting, leaving messages. And of course, if they are in an economic situation, a bad situation... Obviously, we do what we can, take them into our own house. If they are so old and frail, and then they perhaps have advanced Alzheimer's, they may need to go into a nursing home and may not be able to come into our own home, perhaps. But, uh, though, of course, we know people that have been able to, to look after elderly parents in that state, and praise the Lord for that, but sometimes we're not able to do that. But what we mustn't do is abandon them in old people's homes. And over the years, having visited quite a few old people's homes in different parts of the country, you often find old people there that appear to have been, you know, they get a visit once every six months or something. Now that, I don't think, really is honouring your mother and father. And uh, this is what you, if you're listening to me, children, uh, think think about your future. as you're growing up, that's what you're going to have to do for your parents, is honour them, look after them. Don't cut them off. And uh, the promise is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, I don't think Paul here, I, I could be wrong and I'm, I will stand to be corrected on this. I don't think here Paul means to be this, to be taken to applying to Gentiles in exactly the same way applied to Jews. This was a, a covenant promise which was... In, um, in in the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy is explained as a covenant promise. The Jews, their homeland, they're going to live long in that, and, and the sign of God's blessing upon them is going to be they're going to live a long life in that land. But I knew a, a girl. I, I have mentioned this before. I didn't know her well at university. Um, But I did see her a lot of Christian immunities. I mean, I saw her regularly. And I I never really entered into many conversations with her. She was a a, a lovely, lovely um, uh, person and a a dedicated disciple. But when she graduated, she was going to take a year off uh, in Operation Mobilization. And she went to to Belgium, and there she died in a a, a domestic accident. You An accident that happens from time to time uh, in England. It slipped over, knocks your head. Dies from a fractured skull that was, uh, couldn't be treated, or whatever the whatever actually happened to her to her brain. Now the thing is, that does happen to Christians. Christians sometimes die young, and we only have to. go, Jesus died, aged about 33. Um, Stephen, roughly the same age. Um, James, the brother of John, he died uh, when he was in his young middle age. And so this promise obviously doesn't apply universally to every Christian, that we're all, because we've trusted in Christ and because we've honored our mother and father, that we're necessarily always going uh, to um, live a long life. But I think there obviously are real applications of this, uh, this living a, a long time, Uh, just from a common sense point of view. You see, the book of Proverbs, which we've been doing in our Bible studies, can be seen as a long exposition of this verse. Young people are called to obedience to the word of God and to their parents. And uh, in the book of Proverbs, we, we actually have examples given, practical results of disobedience. Poor health, drinking, dangerous lifestyles, Adultery, which often can end in violence and murder, uh, the ruination of drink, the stupidity of laziness, the poor choices that young people may make as they're disobeying uh, their parents and and God, and they end up in trouble. And often, um, the uh, the writer to the writer of the Proverbs talks about the disasters that actually happen to them. We know that even, um, you know, medical uh, reports on the people's lifestyle shows that people that live um, regular lives, follow uh, patterns of, of, uh, of religious behavior, live longer. It's just, a, it's just a medical fact. You know, people who pray regularly and try to keep commandments and so on actually do live longer on the whole because they're, they're missing out on the more dangerous lifestyles and risks. And, and so... It is, there, is, there is a truth there that we are, to, we are to see in this life. But also, I, I believe many commentators would say this, that this is ref, referring not really just to you're going to live long in this land, but it's referring to that great promise of Jesus that if we trust in him, we will have eternal life. And we're thinking of, of, uh, of, of the, the wonderful benefits uh, in eternity because the child of God will seek to obey the commands of God. And uh, uh, the child of God has been given uh, eternal life in virtue of his faith in Jesus. So, uh, if we are uh, if we're children, we are to note that uh, it, it will go well with us and we will live long in the land. It will go well with us in this life, not because we're prosperous with money, but it will go well with our soul. Um, I think, Dan, did you say that your favorite song is It Is Well With My Soul? Was that the one? Yeah. It is well with my soul. And uh, basically, that is, the, uh, that is the, the, the promise here for a child that, you know, whatever your situation, whether your exams go well or whether they go badly, whether you get the job you want or you don't get the particular job you want, you will find peace and joy and happiness. As you, and you will prosper in life if, if you keep this command. Now, I just want to, to uh, uh, note the PS for a second before we, before we finish in 10 minutes from now. Uh, I've said it's a PS because basically, uh, Paul has addressed children, but then he, he finishes with a very short message uh, to uh, fathers Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, Paul mentions pair uh, Sorry, mentions fathers. But I would note that, of course, we live in a in a, in a world in which well, there are many one-parent families that the father is not to be seen. Uh, in some cases, one-parent families have do have fathers who who take a a, a very active uh, interest in their children's upbringing and and are totally 100% involved but in some cases we have fathers that hardly ever see their children and so I, I take it that we may accept that this um, is an um, instruction not just to fathers but also to mothers who may be bringing up children by themselves and have to, have to try to fulfill a, the father, father's role as well as the mother's role now it says this don't provoke your children to anger uh, we might say, don't produce anger within them. Don't stimulate it. Don't give cause for the rapid growth of anger with them. Don't provoke them to anger. Now, there are obviously loads of different reasons why there are poor behaviour and attitudes amongst children. As a teacher, I don't know how many thousands of children passed through my classrooms over thirty-eight years of teaching, and of the badly behaved ones, there were so many different, you know, causes of why some of them were. Angry, disruptive, disobedient, and so on. Um, but there are a few things that we, you know, that over the years I've noticed as a teacher, and as a grandparent, I've noticed, you know, uh, uh, in the last few years about um, about uh, angry children. The first thing is this: is that when a child is provoked to anger. This is implying that he's being provoked into a sinful state. This is not that he's just being provoked to uh, be righteously angry, but actually to be angry in a, in a, in a way which is, is very unhealthy. How can we grow anger in a child? How can we stimulate it in a child? Well, firstly, we obviously we can punish a child out of all proportion to his crime. You know, we, uh, he may do something very minor and we absolutely, you know... Um, uh, chastise him really, really uh, in a very harsh way or he may carry on the punishment for day after day after day we may stay angry with him and being bitter and ranting at him day after day, week after week I say him because um, I, I think I, had, I, I have in mind when I'm talking all of the boys that I've taught in school and teaching in boys school but in fact of course exactly the same applies to girls by bringing him down or humiliating him or her in a harsh way in front of others. Now, I remember, uh, and I was only talking about this this afternoon with, um, with friends that we're having lunch with, um, about the book Run, Baby, Run. And in it, um, Nicky Cruz, who uh, became eventually a great evangelist, was Puerto Rican, and as a, young, a youngster uh, basically ran wild in the streets of New York, became a gang leader in one of the most murderous and violent gangs in New York in the 50s. Um, But when he was a small child, his mother, who practiced witchcraft uh, and other things, uh, in front of the whole kind of neighborhood, said, He isn't my child, he's a child of the devil. And he ran off in absolute um, terror and also a tremendous feeling of bitterness. That uh, grew up within him because whatever he'd done and I don't think he'd done much on this particular occasion he was being, uh, he was being humiliated and exposed in front of the neighbors and, and everything and, and he had anger that, that grew within him and um, equally well we can actually create anger not just by overdoing our disciplining or the way we relate to them but we can create anger in the child by not disciplining them Often, in my experience as a teacher, the uh, the most angry children are often the ones that haven't been disciplined at home. Why is that? Well, I, I, I've i seen it in a few, I'm not saying this is it's totally the true, but we can provoke a child by ignoring him or her. I mean, and small children. And they think we couldn't care less about them, so they try to grab our attention by outrageous behavior. And, uh, you know... Parents often don't do much. They just—they sometimes laugh, you know, because a small child is behaving in an outrageous way. Um, but then finally, they get—they lose their temper with continual, uh, continual uh, sort of behavior, like then they lash out. The parents themselves lash out in anger. But then, once they've lashed out, and the child is quiet for a few minutes, they then carry on ignoring them for the next few days, and so on. It goes on and on, and the child—the child—is is fermenting anger within himself, is afraid of the parental smack when it comes, but actually then his anger starts being taken out on other children at school and so on. By not giving a child boundaries, by not disciplining them, we are allowing them to express anger and abusive behavior to other children, maybe. We may not see it, but we don't, we're not actually telling them and giving them, uh, giving them, um, giving them boundaries. We can also create anger by not explaining that we love them before, during, and after we punish them. Because, of course, children should be punished. Children should be disciplined and should be chastised. But we should explain the fact we love them before, uh, during, and after we punish them. Now, why do I say that? Because God is our Father. And what do I read? Throughout the Old Testament, numerous occasions, God gives his prophets' messages to the people of Israel before they sin. That he loves them, but he wants that they're warned, you know, of their behaviour. During the time they're sinning, prophets come and they give them give them the messages that you know you will you will suffer. God will punish you. God will punish us if we ignore him. Time after time, and then after they're punished, what does God do? Well, I'm going to read from Hosea. Hosea 14:4 says this: God is speaking, "I will heal their apostasy." I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I'll be like Jew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. And in fact, I haven't got time, but I went through lots of, of uh, parts of the Old Testament prophets in which we precisely have this constant pattern. God warns in advance. He, he tells what he's doing when he pours out his wrath upon the people. And at each stage, he expresses his love. I hold out my hands all the time to a disobedient people. Um, uh, You know, there's this constant, constant pattern of showing love at every point in the disciplinary process. And the thing is, when Paul says, don't provoke your children to anger, I think one of the ways of, of, of trying to trying to diminish that uh, that uh, possible provocation is by the showing of love. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't discipline. It doesn't mean that we don't chastise. It just means that it's a, a different kind. It's a different kind of of chastisement. Paul, Paul says specifically, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, the discipline of the Lord is, of course, a... Um, it is the firm and fair correction of children perhaps in some cases by chastisement sometimes by taking away things they enjoy by um, various, various ways of, of, um, of, uh, of rewards not being available or, or specific punishments being inflicted but the thing is this the discipline of the Lord is a watchful eye on a child as God's watchful eyes upon us, it's uh, the discipline of the Lord is a, is is where our, the child is safe and uh, and protected because our eyes are upon that child, girl or boy, and they are immediately corrected for bad behaviour. I say immediately corrected, I don't mean the punishment comes immediately because it may be that we're, you know, we, we, that it's in some situation where we can't, we're, not, we're not in a position to actually chastise them or impose the punishment. But we tell them, you are going to be punished, uh, you, know, for, you know, for if they've done something really bad. And then, But we tell them, we love them, and we explain when, they're, when they have whatever the discipline that's, that's brought upon them, that they're going to be, that, that we do love them. In a calm way, we show them the appropriate punishment uh, for them, and th- as I've said, both the disciplining and the instruction of the Lord, or um, I think the the, the the translation, a lot of uh, a lot of the commentators I have read refer to as admonition uh, for the child, is done with this love. Now, ad- admonition ad- doesn't mean shaming people. Like if I'm as a preacher and I say. In front of everybody, you've done this wrong, Phil, you've done that wrong, you've done that wrong. Well, that isn't really going to change someone apart from make them angry and hard-hearted. They're hardly going to listen to the word of God. Paul says in Corinthians, using the same word that is used in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And Paul makes it clear that his preaching and teaching was one of, of loving, tender concern. And it wasn't as a, to, 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 uh, to have a confrontation of him with the person, but rather to actually bring the word of God to this person. And God himself will, um, will show this person uh, the truth of his word. And admonition can be done with a choice of different methods. Paul says in Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, this of course is also the process of, of, of what it means, bringing up a child, isn't it? Warning and teaching with all wisdom the child that we may see them become mature. And of course... If they're Christian children, they may become mature in Christ. And this idea of all wisdom implies that there's, uh, in, in the actual word I think it's like with, with perfect wisdom, is that there's, for every behavior problem, there is a solution. There is uh, a, 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 an instruction we can give, an advice we can give, and indeed a chastisement we can give that is appropriate to that situation. let's also remember that Paul says in Acts 20 verse 31, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Now he's, he's talking to the Ephesians here uh, in Acts 20 and uh, the Ephesian elders and talking about his ministry in Ephesus. So Paul, when he was with the Ephesian adults was constantly admonishing everyone with tears, not with not with uh, you know, a sense of superiority or anything, but with tears, with affection and kindness and love. And that actually is what parents should do uh, to avoid provoking anger in their children. Is we, we have the humility of realizing our own sins and failures, and we're quite prepared to admit those to a child, but at the same time bring the word of God uh, to to their situation. Now, I just want to finish finally by saying this that um, it's a great thing to be a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader or a youth club leader um, because actually um, I think the word is in statue pupillari if I remember it correctly. Um, it, it's the, the thing that's used in Cambridge. It reckon, you know, When you go up as a student to Cambridge in the old days you were still a minor at 18. You weren't of age of 21. And so the uh, tutors and uh, the, the staff of the college were in Statue pupilari. They were, they were like um, parents to you uh, basically because um, and they stood in the place of parents because there were no one around. Now actually a Sunday school teacher can have such an effect upon a child or an older person can have such an effect upon a child. Don't um, you know underrates the, the the great effect that Sunday school teachers youth leaders have they 've become like spiritual godmothers and godfathers to their to their pupils sometimes. Paul saw his converts as children, and in fact, of course, he told us that Timothy, although he was instructed from infancy in Christ by parents, um, even by the time he was a young adult, Paul big still um, talked about him as my child and Timothy obviously saw Paul as his mentor. He was still... He looked as... uh, as Paul was treated, I think, by Timothy in a fatherly way, as Paul um, 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 acted in a fatherly way towards Timothy. Now, how much did I learn when I was a small child from my Sunday school teachers? I tell you a lot. And I know Martin feels just the same about his Sunday school teachers, and many of us, uh, uh, others who've been through Sunday school, remember the inspiration the help and the instruction that was given, which really helped us. Now, that's a great thing. As I said, it's not, it's not obviously as, as wide or rich and as demanding a role as a parent, but it's an important role. So those of us who have a chance to, um, you know, to also do a little um, instruction and admonition of children in Sunday school work, realize that it is important because... Let's just go. Let's just remind you of what Paul is saying. Quite simply, obey your parents in the Lord. It's the right thing to do. Remember that honor your father and mother is the major commandment with a promise. It's a major. It's it's the first of the social commandments. You know, they talk about two tables of the law, and honor your father and mother is the first of the commandments. You know, dealing with human beings. And it's got a promise added to it. And that promise is that child, if they do honor their father and mother, will have a prosperous spiritual life. And they will have it, obviously, if they're walking with the Lord, they, they will live with him forever in heaven. And the fourth thing was, of course, that fathers, mothers uh, don't cause anger to grow in the heart of your child by, um, by our own lives. Not least, of course, of course, we can grow anger in, in children by ourselves being angry in front of them with other people. If, if, a, if a child sees me angry with um, someone, uh, then he himself may very well emulate that. So don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction, the admonition of the Lord. Uh, may the Lord help us uh, to put that into practice in our lives. Let's now pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word, and we, we would ask you for the children in our church. Everyone will be saved, and we pray, Lord, that you'll help uh, the parents, the mothers and fathers, to be able to, day by day, um, uh, bring up the children in the, in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. And uh, we pray, Lord, that each child in our church is going to, to become a disciple from a very early age. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.